1: Today, on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
0: Real love is calling, listen, opens up your eyes. Mercy is
2: for you with every sunrise. People have differences of opinion about doctrinal things, too. That's not really what he's dealing with here in Chapter 14, so neither will we. What he's dealing with in terms of disputable matters are basically matters of practice, you know, how do you live out your faith and what are the things you consider right and wrong? Again, not the things that are clearly spelled out as right and wrong in the Bible, but what about some other issues that aren't so clear in the Bible as right or wrong? What if your practice is different from mine? Am I going to judge you? Or are you going to judge me? How are we all to get along?
1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick, Of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Romans. We live in a world where difficulties and divisions affect those within the church as frequently as in the secular world. Today, Pastor Gary will help you understand how you are called to live your life of faith when differences and points of contention arise with other believers it is important to first differentiate small matters from the non-negotiable doctrines of faith. In these lesser matters, you are called to recognize others may not agree, but it doesn't negate their faith. Salvation isn't dependent on one's opinion of minor matters, but on Jesus's sacrifice. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Romans, chapter 14, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
2: in your Bibles, if you would, please, to Romans chapter 14. I'm going to read all of it. It's only uh, 23 verses. So I'm just going to read through it all, and then we're going to come back to verse 1 and kind of backtrack and dig it out verse by verse. But just so that you get the whole context, let me read all of it at the beginning. So here we are, Romans 14. Let me start at verse 1. It says, Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who was in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble." It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is sin. Wow. All right. I don't normally start out with a joke. But I am tonight, okay? It's in the context of our chapter here. It's a story about this uh, good old boy in Texas who practiced what was called the three-kick rule. What happened was one day a New York City slicker lawyer went down to Texas for some duck hunting. And he was hunting some duck and he shot a duck as it was flying away. That duck dropped down across the fence into this good old Texas farmer's field. And so this city slicker lawyer from New York didn't know any better. And he hopped the fence, went over the fence to retrieve the duck that he had just shot. When all of a sudden, this good old boy farmer came out of nowhere, wearing his cowboy boots, big Texas three-gallon hat, and came over this city slicker New York lawyer and said, you can't just cross my fence and come over here and help yourself to that duck. If it falls on my side of the fence. It's mine. But well, that city slicker looked at him and said, well, what can I do? Can I pay you? He said, no, no, no. He said, but we can settle our differences. We got something here in Texas called the three-kick rule. The lawyer said, what's the three-kick rule? He said, well, this is how it works. You want this duck? All right, I kick you three times. Then you kick me three times. And then back and forth we go, kicking each other, taking turns three times each until the last man standing gets the duck. What do you feel about that? The lawyer said, all right, I'm up to it, old man. So the Texas farmer with his steel-toed boots on, he started out kicking this dude, kicked him right in the stomach, good gut punch, dropped this lawyer to his knees. Then the farmer again reared back, gave him an uppercut with his boot, kicked him right up underneath the chin, knocked that lawyer back on his back. And then while he was completely down on the ground, that farmer just laid into him, kicked him right in the ribs this lawyer's got blood coming out of his mouth and he finally gets himself up off the ground holding his side he says all right old man it's my turn and the farmer turned to him and said no that's okay i don't want the duck you can have it anyway (laughs) now that's how they settle differences in texas but how do you settle differences in the church because that's what chapter 14 is all about there's a lot of people who have a lot of differences in the body of christ and how are we to settle our differences now understand the context here in romans chapter 14 this is the church in rome and the church in rome had a mixture of jews and gentiles it's pretty evenly mixed but the problem is you're going to approach christianity from your own personal perspective and angle and background For the Jews who became believers in Yeshua and Jesus, who who became Christians and believers by faith, well, they were still pretty legalistic about some rules. Whereas the Gentiles who God saved, they, they didn't have any rules to begin with, so everything went. And in that lies the conflict. It was ripe for disagreements. Because you have some Jews who are believers in Jesus, Gentiles who are believers in Jesus, all attend in the same church. They're in Rome, but the Jews are pretty strict legalists, and they know the law, and they know the commandments, and they know what's right and wrong to a T, whereas the Gentiles are coming, and they don't have any clue about the commandments. They just believed in Jesus, and they got saved. How do you get along? And that's really the question from chapter 14. Here it is. How can we get along in the body of Christ, even though we have different convictions about different things? Now, in order for us to understand, though, what we're talking about here and what we're not talking about, please note for you note takers, we are not talking about non-negotiables like salvation issues or clear commandments in the Bible. Paul's not talking about here in chapter 14 about, well, what do you believe uh, versus what I believe in terms of clear salvation issues or clear commandments. Those are non-negotiables. Those are spelled out clearly in the Bible, and those things are not to be debated or messed with. But then there are, if you will, some gray areas. If you've ever wondered in your Christian life, what about this, or what about that, that may not be spelled out so specifically in Scripture, how are you to handle those issues, and how do you handle others who might practice differently on those gray issues or those gray matters so what we are talking about is what paul refers to here in verse one as disputable matters notice again verse one he says accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters now paul is going to talk here in chapter 14 as we've just read here about primarily practices not doctrine all right he's going to talk in context of this particular time, about diet and days. He's going to be talking about how some people, in terms of diet, think that some food is sacred, and some food isn't sacred. And then he's also going to talk about how some people concerning days think that some days are sacred and some days are secular. And so, you know, how do you reconcile those things, particularly when within the same body of believers, you have different people who believe differently concerning diet regulations or holy days or not-so-holy days. So he's not dealing here in this context with the non-salvation doctrinal issues. That is a whole nother subject. You know, we have people who will come to church and they're, depending on if you have a church background at all, you will have questions about, you know, where does Cornerstone stand on spiritual gifts? Spiritual gifts can be a point of contention. Some people believe that they are already, you know, they've been done away with at the end of the apostolic age. Last apostle died. The signs, the spiritual gifts, and wonders have all ceased. You have others who, who say, no, they haven't. We're, we're on the side that says, no, they haven't. But they have their proper place. Then you have people who are all wigged out about baptism. Like, well, do you sprinkle or do you immerse here? What is it? you sprinkle or immerse? I don't want to come to a church that is gonna hold me under too long. Well, just depends how much sin's in your life. That's what we're gonna do. We're gonna hold you down till we see bubbles. But anyway No, no, no. But there are some good godly people, they only sprinkle and then you know, but we practice immersion and then you have like eschatology, which is a study of end time events. Are you are you pre trib, mid trib, or post trib? You know, and, and, and people get all freaked out about this kind of stuff. Are you Calvinist or Arminian? Are you Reformed theology? And so people have those non-salvation but you know, disputable matters doctrinally too in the church. The people I love the most are the completely unchurched. They don't come in with any of those questions and they're just hungry for more of Jesus. But anyway, we take everybody as they are. And so you know, people have differences of opinion about doctrinal things too. That's not really what he's dealing with here in chapter 14, so neither will we. What he's dealing with in terms of disputable matters are basically matters of practice. You know, how you live out your faith and what are the things you consider right and wrong? Again, not the things that are clearly spelled out as right and wrong in the Bible, but what about some other issues that aren't so clear in the Bible as right or wrong? What if your practice is different from mine? Am I going to judge you? Or are you going to judge me? How are we all to get along? So for the purpose of modern context, I just wanted to make a bit of a list here with you to show you how this chapter is going to apply in some practical ways. This is not an exhaustive list. This is just to get our our minds understanding kind of the idea behind chapter 14 so we can apply chapter 14. For example, on the topic of movies, there are some Christians who have some definite opinions about movies. There are some Christians who say, "You you can't go to any movies. Then there's some Christians who say you can go to any movie you want. And then there's some Christians who say well, you can only go to certain movies with certain ratings. You know, and, you know. Terry and I, a long time ago, we had a personal conviction of, about movies, and I don't want to make it about what our convictions are, so that's really none of your business. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but that's another term in Christianity, none ya, you. know, none ya. But anyway, But anyway, because I don't really want it to be about us. But here's the thing. You have an opinion about what kind of movies you can go see and what you can't. And if you have... A particular view about what kind of movies are okay to see as a Christian, and you got got a Christian friend who doesn't have that same conviction, and they go to see movies that have, you know, other ratings, you might end up looking at them going, you are so unspiritual. I can't believe you actually want to go see a movie with that rating. And somebody else, why look at you and think, well, you're so legalistic. I can't believe that you have so many rules. So movies can be a point of contention in the body of Christ just in terms of what the practice might be. How about music? Music can be a point of contention. Now, I will say this. Not all secular music is bad. And by the way, not all Christian music is good. There's some Christian music that bugs me to death. Music can be a point of contention, shouldn't listen to any secular music. Oh, yes, you can. You shouldn't. Some of this worship music. Ah, how many times do they repeat this song? I mean, it can be really a subjective issue. What about attire? There's some debate there, depending on some of your church backgrounds. How low is too low? (laughs) How high is too high? How tight is too tight? And who will be the fashion police to say all those things to you? I've heard some people who have been through some churches where they literally will check the hemline and make sure that a woman's dress is not too high. And uh, there's a lot of crazy stuff that is done in the name of attire and policing attire. And, you know, look, I'll be the first to say that there are some things that as a church we have to make personal decisions about what might be appropriate, what might be inappropriate. But I hope we're not going to be in the legalistic side and I hope we don't err on on too liberal of a side either where anything goes. But these are the kind of tight ropes you have to walk in in relation to some of these issues. What about this issue? Oh, homeschooling versus public schooling. There's got some people with opinions about this matter. Some people very passionate about one or the other and can look down on the other. You know, the homeschoolers can look at the public schoolers and think, you bunch of heathens, you're going to get influenced too much with the world. What's the matter with you? And the public schoolers can look at the homeschoolers and think, you churning butter all day long. I mean, I'm just being real with you. Those kind of comments go back and forth all the time. And it's a real issue in the church. What about the Sabbath observance? This one was a hard one in my family growing up because... There were some rules about what you do and don't do on Sunday, and Sunday isn't even technically the Sabbath. It is our day of rest in the Protestant church, but the Sabbath still is always sundown Friday, sundown Saturday. But, you know, just in principle, Sunday's a day of rest for most people. Not always for everybody, but take one day at least out of seven to be off because that is given to us in Scripture. Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. Okay. It was God's off switch for us to relax and rest. But there's a lot of people who have a lot of rules on the Sabbath day. When we went to my grandparents house growing up on a Sunday, you could not do a thing. You could eat and sit. That was it. And then somehow the rules got loosened up and you could play cards, but you could not play face cards. You could play rook cards. You know, I don't, what's so funny about that is face cards were so bad, but Rook was okay. Rook has a raven on the, on the cards. A raven's an unclean animal in the Bible. Anyway, it didn't make any sense. We couldn't do anything, man. Me and my cousins go to my grandparents' house. You couldn't go out and play, nothing. Just sit still there. You honor the Lord. A lot of people have a lot of... Now, I can tell you, because of that, because of how I was raised, and again, I don't want to make this about me, but here's the deal. There is something that I have an aversion to on a Sunday that I just can't do. I can't wash a car. I can't mow a lawn on a Sunday. It just is me. It's just the way I was raised. And some of y'all, I got to be honest with you, it's been my own thing I had to get over. Because I know some of y'all, and I know where you live, and I've seen you mowing your lawn and washing your cars on Sundays, and I'm tripping out. Like, all right, Lord, come on. We can learn and grow in these things, and it's all right, as you'll find in in the 14th chapter here. That's my issue. I had to get over that. All right, how about this one? Oh, alcohol. Should we drink it all? And if we should drink or could drink, how much can we drink? Now, most Christians will at least be able to admit, Ephesians 5.18, right? Do not be drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be you filled with the Holy Spirit. Drunkenness is a sin. I hope we can all agree on that. Drunkenness is a sin. The Bible spells it out as a sin. But then the question becomes, well, how much before I get buzzed is okay? And for some Christians, they're like, you can't touch that stuff at all. You can't touch that stuff. Liquor, you know, and all this stuff, okay? Now, here's the challenge. You know what the the drunk blood alcohol content level is across the United States. You know what it is? In all 50 states, the blood alcohol content level for driving while intoxicated, for DWI, is 0.08. 0.08, okay? About a decade ago, it used to be 0.10. But they made the standard higher. So it's like, well, if you go off of the blood alcohol content level to determine at what point have I crossed over into the sin of drunkenness, I ask you, is God a .08 God or a .10 God? (laughs) And what if you go to some other countries where their standards are even higher? In Europe, as much as the Europeans drink, friends, it is .05. In places like China and Sweden, it is .02. I mean, you can hardly have a sip and you're going to be considered DWI. So is God a, a Swedish God? Is God a European God? Is God an American God? And it gets all this kind of confusing stuff about alcohol itself. What about the issue of, you know, smoking, chewing, or dating girls who do? <laughs> I just thought I'd throw some fun in there, you know. And I've said this before. Listen, friends, some of you smoke like a chimney, and smoking won't make you go to hell, all right? It'll just make you smell like you've been there. You know what I'm talking about? So, uh, you know, and some of these are health issues, obviously, and some of these we should be wise about because our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But, you know, what is okay, what is not, what is acceptable, what's a sin issue? This is really what chapter 14 is all about. So as we look at chapter 14 here I want to go back now and and talk about what should we do in terms of how to relate to each other and all our differences concerning some of these and a whole lot more okay there's a whole lot more what about tattoos what about dancing dancing some christians can and some christians can't that's what i have to say about that matter but there's all kinds of matters that we can look at and say well this is kind of disputable and what does the bible really have to say about this and what's okay for you and what's okay for me so this is what paul does and i've pulled out six principles from chapter 14 about what he tells us we should do and this is obviously by inspiration of the spirit so what does god say to us about what we should do in terms of relating to one another and our differences Here's the first thing for you note-takers. Number one, accept someone whose faith is weak. Now, that's the way he refers to it in verse 1. He says, Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Now, understand context here. This is the Roman Empire... It was still a very polytheistic culture. They worshipped a lot of gods. They sacrificed to these gods. And a lot of times they would take meat and uh, kill an animal, offer it to one of their false gods, all right, and then sell that meat in, in the public market. And so what would happen is there would be some Christians who would come along, And say, I I can't buy that meat because that meat was offered to a a false god. And so the meat is now somehow tainted. And so they would have a personal conviction that they should not buy or eat that meat. Whereas yet other Christians were like, I don't really care if it was offered to a false god. The god isn't even real that they offered it to to begin with. They could say a few incantations over that animal. Doesn't make it any different for me. And so I'm just going to buy it and I'm going to eat it joyfully. And yet the same Christians who had different views about whether or not this was acceptable to eat. And therefore, those who had a conviction in their conscience that, no, 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 this meat is bad, it's tainted, it was offered to these false gods, they would only eat vegetables. And the others who are like, no, it's everything's go. Like, you know, fire up the barbecue. It's okay. And so they would eat everything. And so that's what he's referring to here. But he does refer to those who says, no, 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 I don't want to eat this. It was offered to idols. He refers to them as weak. Now I don't want you to think of them as weak in terms, he doesn't mean in terms of inferior. What he means is in terms of their faith is just at a certain level where you have to respect that.
1: The corner, your connection, towards your new life. Romans teaches that living for Jesus isn't just something you say with your mouth. It's an entire lifestyle change. Your heart and your mind are made new through the powerful grace and love of Jesus. You begin to want to do things as Jesus has, and that includes knowing what he says in the word. It's important to make spending time in the Bible part of your life. You'll learn more about the Savior you follow and his plans for your life and for the world as a whole. We're so glad you tuned in today for Pastor Gary Hamrick's message on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen again to this study in Romans, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, you'll be able to learn more about this ministry and the church behind it all. Are you in the Leesburg area? If so, we'd love to have you come join us for our weekly services at Cornerstone Chapel. We meet each week on Sundays at 8.30, 10 at 11.45 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Come meet Pastor Gary, spend some time in the Word, and join us as we lift our voices in praise to our King. Directions to Cornerstone Chapel can be found on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. We hope you'll join us again for this continuing study of Romans, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They
2: say you're a wandering soul That you've got
1: no place to go But still you know not a